You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. Very good. Hope you are. We're excited about this upcoming series called Everything Changed. And we're going to be looking in this series at how when we come to know Christ, everything in our life begins to change. God gives us a new heart and we begin to see things differently. We begin to love differently. We begin to interact with people differently. And so in this series, we're going to be really looking at that. We're going to have some testimonies that we're going to share with you from other people who um, have, have experienced this life change. And hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you. But also um, we're, we're telling you and asking you to bring somebody with you someone who's far from God, someone who doesn't have a relationship with Christ and let them hear the good news of what Jesus does in our hearts and what Jesus does in our lives when we come to a relationship with him. And so we're excited about that. Um, We're glad you're here today. I'm excited about what God's put in my heart to share with you. And uh, we we had uh, someone in nine that went from death to life. So that was awesome, who gave their life to Christ. Across all the campuses last week in Statesboro and Vidalia, Lyons, and then over in Millen last week, we had three salvations, so that was awesome. We got to celebrate that, and uh, excited for what God's going to do in this service today. Um, And so we're going to be wrapping up a series that we've called Behind Enemy Lines, and in this series, we've been looking at um, some of the lies that we oftentimes believe and we've been going through the book of First Thessalonians and looking at this, this church, this church in Thessalonica that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to um, that is now the book of First Thessalonians. When he wrote this letter, he, he really loved this church and he held this church up in many ways as a model church for other people to, to look to for us to to look to and to see who we're supposed to be. And so we've been looking at some of the lies that we oftentimes believe um, either about ourselves or about the church. We've been doing that now for the last seven or eight weeks. And so today um, we're gonna wrap this series up. The lie that we're looking at, we've been taking one lie each week and looking at it. The lie that we're looking at today is that community isn't essential. Community isn't essential. We believe here at Connection that community is essential. Um, so our, our connect groups are so important. It's why fellowship is so important to us is because we believe that uh, you can't do life alone, that you need someone in your life um, going with you, walking with you, going through life with you, your life in Christ together. And so we believe that strongly. And today we're going to be looking at that um, through the text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. Verses 12 through 24. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or turn there on your, or turn on your phone or whatever you got to do to get to the scripture. If you don't have a Bible, one of the things that we would like to encourage you with, we'd love to give you a Bible. If you want to go by um, our next steps tables, um, someone there can help you find a Bible. We have some of those. We'd love to give you one. And so um, we'd love to do that for you. But here today, we're going to go through these verses. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. Let's read through it, and then we'll come back and we'll pick up each verse and talk about each verse as we go. It says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, 
but always strive to do good, to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active, God, that it pierces into our hearts. God, I pray that you would do that today. I pray that the words I speak would come from your heart, God, straight to us. That, God, it wouldn't be just words that we say, but it would come with power to transform and to heal and to to set free, God, as we cling to your truth. I pray, God, that today we would see clearly who you want us to be as a community. God, that the promises that you've given us as a community, that not even the gates of hell will stop the work that you want to do through your church, through your community of people, God. We love you, Lord, and thank you for loving us, for the grace you give us, for the mercy you've extended to us through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I want to start out today by putting an image on the screen for you. And in just a second, we're going to put that up there. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to just think of the first word that comes to mind when you see this image, okay? Because it's going to be kind of interesting in just a second after you see this image. So if you want to look at the screens in just a second, we're going to put this image up. And I want you to think of the first word that you think about. So here's the image. One, two, three. There you go. All right. How many people... The first word you thought of was pound or number sign. Raise your hand. All right. That's the old folks in the room, right? How many of you, when you saw that sign, the first thing you thought of was hashtag? Younger folks in the room, right? And I thought about this, and the reason I thought about this is because uh, I was talking with a young man. He's probably about 10 years old the other day, and I was giving him a code to a door. And I gave him the code and I said, at the end of the code, you need to push pound. And so he goes off and he goes to the door and he's punching numbers in and he comes back and he said, it won't work. I said, well, why won't it work? He said, I don't know. And he said, I don't know what the pound sign is. And I said, well, you know, it's the one. I said, oh, hashtag. And he goes, oh, okay. And he goes and opens the door. Had no clue what pound was or what a number sign was, but knew exactly what a hashtag was. And so um, I thought about that and thought about how we see those things differently and how that change, I mean, really has just happened in the last few years where we started seeing that differently. And what it made me start thinking about is how powerful culture is in coming in and changing our mindsets in coming in and making us see things in a certain way so that we see this differently than we used to see it. We see it differently now than what um, we would have normally thought about it a few years ago. And I thought about how powerful culture is in being able to transform our thoughts, our mindset, and how we see things. But here's the other thing that I went to in that, is that if culture is that powerful in being able to change and transform the world around us, how much more true should that be for God's church, his community that is filled with the spirit of God that has the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through it to begin to transform and change the world around us? 
And so when you look at that and think about it, the Bible calls us salt. It says that we are salt of the earth, that we're to penetrate the earth, that we're to preserve the earth. And so we're called as the church, as the community of God, as the people of God, to penetrate the world around us, to transform it, and to begin to um, change it. And this is exciting to me because what begins to happen is as the world begins to interact with the church as we do what we're called to do and called to be, not just cultural Christians, but Christians who are truly following Christ, what begins to happen is that we begin to see things change. God begins to work supernaturally through his body, the church, to begin to change things. And what begins to happen is you begin to see individual lives change. You begin to see people who have struggled with addiction, with drugs, with alcohol, with pornography, with sex, with different things, beginning to be set free from those addictions. You begin to see those individual lives change. You begin to see people who um, have struggled with a sin for, for much of their life who begin to be able to be set free from that sin as they come into this community of believers and they experience the power of Christ. You begin to see families that are put back together um, and begin to be healed and begin to grow closer together spiritually as fathers begin to step up into their role as a spiritual leader of that household and begin to pray with their wife, begin to pray with their children, begin to step even into some areas that may be uncomfortable for them, but that ultimately end up bringing that family together in Christ. We begin to see this. I, see her, I hear stories about dads who now are stepping up to pray, to initiate um, praying with their families. And those things are awesome because God begins to change and bring families back together. Um, you, you begin to see cities, entire communities that are beginning to be transformed and changed. Why? Because of the people of God and the transformation power that is in the church, um, which is God's hope for the world, his hope to, to renew the face of the earth, the local church. And then you begin to see that the world can literally be transformed by the power of the gospel and by the power of God's church. And when you think about that, it's an incredible thing that we get to be a part of. It's an incredible thing that you and I are called to be, not just something that exists for an hour or so on Sunday, but something that exists supernaturally all the time. That when we gather, we gather as the people of God. When we disperse, we disperse as the people of God, the church of God, to go and penetrate the world and begin to transform and change it for his glory, for his good and for our good. And so we see that all of this begins to happen as we come into a relationship with Christ and we become part of his body, the church. I thought about it and I thought it'd be kind of interesting because we're in the middle of this political season, right? And I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. That's not what I'm, my point here because I tend to think that we're in trouble no matter who gets elected, right? Um, and so I think we're doomed. It's like, I'm just thankful that Jesus is our savior, not politicians. Amen. And so that's the good news. Um, and so he's the king, and then, then we can all rejoice in that. Um, and so, but the thing I was thinking about is if we as a church or, or us as your leadership were, were running this campaign, if we were to be talking about how uh, the talking points that these politicians have, what would those be? What would that look like? And I thought about it, and I believe this, that as a church, our campaign promise, our slogan should be this, that we are a community of change. That should be the testimony of every church, that we are a community of change. 
And I thought about some of the promises that God holds out in his word and some of the things he instructs us to be and to do in these verses that we've read. And I wanted to go through some of those and look at these as one promises that we need to make um, as leadership to you, um, but also promises as we get into it that the church needs to make to the world, to the people that we're going to be leading, to the people that we're going to be coming in contact with um, and, and sharing our hearts with. And so when we look at this, I want us to look at it from that standpoint, that when we look at this, that we are coming to this from the promises, one, that our leadership is making to you, but promises, two, as we get to it in a second, that, that we're making to the world and to each other. It says there in verse 12, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. I read that and I started thinking about through it and I started thinking, what are you saying? And I really, in this verse, in this 12th verse right here, what you begin to see are some things that God wants from his leaders. And the thing that I would promise you and that I believe our staff can promise you is that we're going to be people who work hard for the gospel who work hard through the grace of God to carry out his work, to be people whose lives are dedicated to the advance of the gospel. We promise this, that we will not give in to the temptation to do church as usual, just to settle in and say, this is what it is, this is how it's gonna be, um, this is the way we've always done it, so we're not gonna change anything. In fact, we wanna be people who are open to the will and the power of God to do what he wants to do. And so we promise as a leadership that we're gonna work hard to advance the kingdom of God that we're gonna to continue to move and not get caught up in church as usual, that we're not gonna fall into the pressure of allowing church to become more about being in a country club than it is about being the community of believers that God wants us to be. Not just a place that we come into and we all look good and look alike and think alike and that there's no diversity, that there's no white and there's no black and that there's everybody's segregated and we're gonna be a place that is open to people to come in and to hear the word of God and we're gonna work hard to make sure that that happens. The next verse or next section of that verse says, after he says, who work hard among you, he says, who care for you in the Lord if you literally translate that, it actually means who are over you in the Lord. And I started thinking about that and a lot of what I read talked about how easy it is for us as we um, come into a leadership position to begin to see ourselves as over the people we're leading versus being under the people we're leading to support them. That we lord it over them rather than supporting them under, underneath them, undergirding them. And we know from the example of Jesus that what Jesus showed us that great leadership is when you become the greatest servant. And so here's the next promise is that we will lead by looking up to God, not looking in the mirror at ourselves. That we will be leaders who look up to God and not look in the mirror to ourselves. Because here's the thing that can happen. Success and pride can lead to one of two things. Anytime you experience success, anytime you experience um, some uh, victory, anytime you become um, more, uh, I guess, higher in position, what can begin to happen is one of two things. Is you become successful and it leads to pride and it leads to destruction. 
People ask me sometimes, they say, well, how do you, you know, what do you do to try to stay humble? What do you do that, to not fall into pride? The reality is that God all my life has taught me this, that pride does lead to destruction. It's not just something that's written in the Bible. It is something that is very true, that pride does lead to destruction. And when we begin to think that our success, when we begin to think that our position is because of who we are and what we've done and how we've made ourselves, then we fall into pride and destruction is sure to follow. And here's the other thing that can happen. It can also lead to worship and to life. And when we come to a place where we recognize that Jesus has given us what all that we have, when we recognize that our success is only ours because of what God's done in us and what God's doing through us, when we recognize that, then it can lead us to worship because of what God's done and what he is and how he works. And that's what we can come to expect is that worship begins to flow out of us. Why? Because we look at the blessing that God has given us. We look at the responsibility that God has given us through his blessing and we begin to return that to worship. God wants us to be a blessed people. He wants us to walk in his power, in his presence, and in his purpose. That's the blessing of God, but it doesn't stop with his blessing. It rolls up into worship of him and it will either stop with us and become worship of us or it will roll up into worship of God, which is where it should ultimately end up is worshiping him. And so we've got to be people who are looking up to God, not looking in the mirror and thinking that we're all that. The next section says this, he says, who care for you in the Lord. And then he says, who admonish you. That word for admonish, it literally leads, means warn. And here's the promise is that we will be a leadership that admonishes you, that, that warns you about the consequences of bad behavior, that warns you about the consequences of getting away from God's word, that warns you and, and says, look, don't do this. Don't walk away from this. Do what God has called you to do, be what God has called you to be. We're going to admonish you. See, sometimes speaking the truth is not popular, but the promise is that we would always speak truth to you. That no matter who stands up here and delivers the word of God to you, that we're, we're gonna deliver it in a way that speaks truth. We deal with the hard issues, but we're called to deal with these issues. Many times the church shies away from talking about the things that the world's talking about, but we need to put it in a biblical perspective. We need to put it in a biblical way so that people can see it the way God sees it, not just the way that the world sees it. And we're called to be that. We're called to be a people who will warn, who will admonish you, who will encourage you to continue to move in God's way, to continue to speak truth even when it's not popular. Verse 13, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And I want to take just a second to say thank you. I don't know if someone has told you guys to do this, but I've received more notes and more letters and more emails in the last few couple of weeks than I have received in, I don't know, a long, long, long time, ever. And they've all been, it hadn't been the bad ones. It's been good ones. It's been people saying, thank you. And this verse makes me think about that. Yeah, it's awesome. And what's funny is I started thinking and have been thinking like, is something bad about to happen? 
like, why is everybody sending me these notes and saying thank you? And, and I'm like, who put them up to this, you know? And it's been so cool to get those, and it's been so cool to, to receive those. And then I thought, well, I wonder if they all think like I'm really losing it for good, and if they're just sending me these notes. And, 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 but it means a lot, and I want you to know that. It really does. It means a lot, and, and, and I appreciate that. We appreciate that. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what God's doing in you and through you um, in this church as well. And so it's just encouraging and it's awesome to see. And so he tells them this, hold them in highest regard and love because of their work, live in peace with each other. And then verse 14 is loaded. This is a loaded verse. We'll spend a good little bit of time on this verse because it's so loaded. And he says, and we urge you brothers and sisters, and here's where the church's part comes in. The promise of the church to come and to be a certain, um, or, not an organization only, but an organism, a living, breathing, active part of um, society of culture. And he says this, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. And so he comes back and says again, admonish, warn those who are idle. But that word for idle, it doesn't just mean um, like not doing anything. He says those who are idle and disrupted. The word for idle there was a military term that was used to describe a soldier who had gotten out of line. Basically a soldier who had lost his way, a soldier who had become wayward, who had gotten away from who he was supposed to be. And so he's saying admonish, warn those who are idle, who've gotten away, who have gone wayward, who have, who have strayed. Um, warn those who have done this so that they can come back, go after them. And this, this is the first thing that as a church and as part of the leadership of this church that our promise is that this will always be a church that calls the wayward people to come home. That this will always be a church that calls the wayward to come home. Those who have strayed, those who are far from God, those are the people that we started this church to reach. Those are the people that we want to see come to know Christ. Those are the people that God's put in our heart to say, listen, you're far from God, but God still loves you. God still has a plan for you. God still wants to do something in your life. He has a purpose for your existence and calling them back to be what God designed them to to be in the first place. So we will be a church that admonishes them to return, that calls the wayward to come home. Verse 14 goes on and it says those who are idle and disrupted, then it goes, encourage the disheartened. The disheartened, this would be those people who are, are timid, those people who are faint hearted. He's encouraging the Thessalonians in this to stay strong. And so I want you to see this, that we're called to be a church that, that, that really comes alongside people and encourages the timid. And what do we encourage them to do? We encourage them to take their next step. We encourage them to keep following God. Here's the reality. We all find ourselves in this place at some point in time where our faith maybe isn't as strong as it was at other parts of time in our life or as strong as it will be in the future. That's one of the reasons we can't do life alone. We need people around us to grab us and lock arm in arm with us and say, we're going to continue to move forward. We're going to continue to take our next step and, and to, to get that encouragement to keep going, to keep moving. There's so many times in life and life just happens where we, we oftentimes want to throw in the towel. We want to just say, heck with it all. And yet we need those people around us. We need to be a church that comes and comes beside those who are 
timid in their faith, who are faint-hearted in their faith, and says, continue on, take that next step. And I don't know what your next step is for you, whether it's salvation, coming into a relationship with Jesus, and the forgiveness of sins, and the life that he gives, and the lordship of, what he, of who he is. I don't know if that's your next step. I don't know if your next step is baptism. Listen, we're gonna do baptisms on Easter Sunday. This Easter, I really believe this is gonna be the most incredible Easter we've ever had. I believe that with all my heart, that God is going to do some incredible things on that day. Um, but if, if baptism is your next step, you need to get baptized. Get in a connect group, if serving, whatever it is, if it's sharing your faith, if it's sharing your testimony with somebody, whatever that is, take that next step. I'm encouraging you today. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you today to keep moving, to keep stepping, to keep going. Even when you feel you can't take the next step because you don't have enough faith, there's people around you who have faith for you when you have no faith for yourself. Keep stepping, keep walking. You won't regret following Christ. Verse 14 goes on and he says, to help the weak. We're gonna be a church that helps the weak. We're gonna be a church that reaches out to those who are physically weak, who can't do for themselves. One of the things I tell my boys all the time is that you need to stand for those who can't stand for themselves. You need to take up for those who can't take up for themselves. You need to recognize this and, 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 and stand in the gap for those people. And we need to be a church that does the th same thing. We need to be a church that helps those who are economically weak, who gives them a hand up, not just a hand out, but actually helps them to stand on their feet, gives them an arm to hold onto, and helps to secure the foundation underneath them. We need to be a church that helps the morally weak, those who are struggling with temptation. And here's the thing, we can't be a church that looks down our nose at people who have struggles because the reality is that every person in here has one, at least one. I know some of you, and you, some of you got a whole wheelbarrow load, right? And, and then I got my wheelbarrow. And so the reality is we've got to be a church that, that, that comes alongside the weak, the morally weak, the spiritually weak, those who are timid of heart, those who are faint-hearted, those who maybe are tired, those who need to, to, to be encouraged. We've got to come alongside those people. And he says to be patient with everyone. Now, think about this, because many of us run out of patience a lot of times, we, especially with people, because people can wear on our patience, right? If you have children, they can wear on your patience when it's like this, daddy, 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 daddy. When you're riding down the road, it can wear on your patience. It can, it can wear them thin. But here's the question I would ask you in dealing with people, um, I oftentimes come back to this myself. The question I oftentimes ask myself is, how patient has God been with me? Because whenever I get aggravated with someone, typically what I feel in my heart is that God says, Brandon, you know, you're that way to me. You're always going, daddy, 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 right? And he's like, but I'm patient with you. How patient is God with us? And see, here's the reality, and here's the point I wanna make out of this in this patience. It takes great patience to be a church that ministers to broken people but we are going to be a church that ministers to the broken. Because broken ministry is what we're called to, but broken ministry is also, it's also messy. It doesn't fit into nice and neat rows and columns. It gets really messy really quickly. 
But that's what we're called to be. The reality is that every church is full of broken people. The problem is in too many churches, you can't admit it. So we got broken people, absolutely. And that's what we want is the people who need to come in and not find a country club full of people who got it all together, but a hospital for sinners who are being healed and redeemed and set free through the power of Jesus. And so we're gonna be that. That's what God's called us to be, is people who minister to the broken. Verse 15 goes on and says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Don't be revengeful, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Put others ahead of yourself. Verse 16, 17, rejoice always, pray continually. And this is one that I think is important, that we look at life, we look at our worship of God and does it consume our life? Or is it just something that we do on Sunday for an hour to an hour and 15 minutes? You've heard me say this before, but too much of church is like an hour hour stand. It's the equivalent of a one night stand, but it happens for an hour where we come in and we say to God, I want my needs met, I want this, but when I walk out of here, I don't want a relationship or any responsibility that I have to do with it. And what God's called us to is a relationship. He's called us to be in that relationship with him. And our promise needs to be that worship is something that happens all the time, not something that just happens on Sunday. But it's who we are, it is our life. Paul knows that we can't spend every waking hour on our knees praying. But what he's saying and what he says in rejoice always is rejoice in the work that God's doing always. Be in a mindful spirit of worship. Pray continually. Be in the spirit of worship. Being mindful of God and what God's doing. And be in this attitude of worship constantly. Don't, don't, don't let it just become a segment of your life, but let it be all of your life. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. In verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We need to be a church that worships God all the time and not just worships him, worships him based on the things that we face or the circumstances we're up against. See, here's the thing that we need to see is that when we're worshiping God because of how good things are, how many times in life does things always just stay good? Not very long. Life happens, right? Life happens. And so if our worship is because of the things that are, are, are going on in our life, if it, it's going to fluctuate up and down based on how life is going. But when we ground our worship in the character and nature of God, his unchanging character and nature, it becomes consistent through our circumstances. It doesn't mean we never question. It doesn't mean we're always happy and just giddy and running around because I know people like that get on your nerves too, right? But what it means is that we're grounded in our worship and, and it is based on his unchanging character not on our ever-changing circumstances. And so it becomes more consistent. Verse 19 says, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. We're gonna be a church that doesn't quench the spirit, but is dependent on the spirit. See, we need to be praying for and expecting an overwhelming 
presence of the Holy Spirit in our services. I know sometimes the Holy Spirit, when we talk about him, it it can be kind of um, out there. It can be kind of different. It might even kind of freak us out a little bit. But the reality of it is, people, that he is God. He is the power of God. We need him in our lives. We need to be filled with him. We need to walk in the power of who he is. And when we come together in church, we need to be expecting that he is going to move, that he is working in people's hearts. Every time somebody raises their hand or stands up for salvation, you have just seen the Holy Spirit do a great miracle in someone's life. Because what just happened is they just declared that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says that no one can declare that Jesus is Lord except through the power of the Holy Spirit. You've just seen a miracle that took place where a hard heart was softened to the point of receiving Christ. You've just seen a miracle take place that somebody went from spiritual death to spiritual life. The greatest miracle in the Bible, the greatest miracle in scripture was not when Jesus healed the blind eyes or that he made the lame to walk or that he even raised the dead. The greatest miracle in scripture is when someone comes to faith in Christ and God takes a wretched sinner like me and he saves them, making them the righteousness of Jesus. That's the greatest miracle that you'll ever see take place. And so he goes on in verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be a church that is becoming more like Christ. It says that he he would sanctify us. That word literally means that we would become more like him, that we become more godly, we become more like Christ. And so what we're going to do is be a church where we're becoming and growing more like him. The reality of it is, as we're going to talk about in the series coming up, you can't meet Jesus and stay the same. You can't meet Jesus and stay the same because he changes our heart. He gives us a new direction. He gives us a new focus. We begin to be transformed into his likeness. And that's what he means by sanctification. And so we're going to begin to do that and walk in that. And that's going to be who we are. We're going to grow in his likeness. Verse 24, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The last one, last thing I want to tell you is that we're going to be a church that is dependent upon God to build his house. This is the greatest thing, that he who calls you is faithful and who will do it? He will do it. He will do it. And that's a good word for a lot of people in here today. Because in your life, what you're trying to do is you're trying to build your life the way you want it built. And God says this, if you'll surrender it to me, then the reality of it is I'll build your life the way it needs to be built. I'll do the things that need to be done. And all you've got to do is let it be in my hands, is surrender it to me and let it go. Not the Disney song, but like seriously letting God have it. And and so I want you to see that and grab hold of that and walk in that. See, he talks about this, he's faithful. And he's going to build this house, but I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the church, the body. Because what he's talking about when he's talking about this is the faithfulness of God to do the work of God. And the work of God, as he talks about in other places, is to take us, 
He calls us living stones and to put us together and build us together as this holy temple that becomes something that people see. Not the building, but the people. In the Old Testament, it was the building. It was the temple people would look at and they'd be amazed and they, they'd go, wow, that is really built to the glory of God. But the reality is now what God says is that you and I are those living stones that are being built together so that when people look at us, what they see is marvelous is awesome. It brings all to God as people look at the church. And that's what he's called us to be. That's what he's called us to be is a body of people drawn together, held together by the power of the Holy Spirit who are becoming more like Christ, who are bound together around the gospel message of Jesus. The gospel message that tells us that Jesus took our sin upon himself, took our punishment upon himself so that we would not have to take it, so that we could then have his righteousness and so that we could be forgiven of our sins and brought into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. It's why I don't believe there should be any dead worship services. There shouldn't be dead worship services because we serve a living God. And so when we come to this, we need to see that God wants to do that in our life. He wants to give, listen, this is the greatest exchange that's ever taken place in history. God takes your sin and your old dead life and in exchange for that, he gives you his righteousness and new life. That's a pretty good exchange. And what do we do to deserve it? absolutely nothing. We've done everything to not deserve it, nothing to deserve it, but the reality is that God loves us anyway, so he gives it to us anyway. And so we have that great hope. Do you have that hope today? Like, Do you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? In just a minute, we're going to take communion together as a body, as a family. But before you take communion, see, communion is something to be shared with by believers because it's celebrating the body of Christ that we belong to that body but do you belong to him that's the first question to ask is am I in Christ do I belong to him is my life secure in him have I trusted in him for salvation have I trusted in him as the Lord of my life have I surrendered myself to him Has he given me that great exchange of his righteousness for my sin? I'm not asking you how much have you been in church. I'm asking you, have you come to a place where you've made the great exchange of my sin for his righteousness through faith? Simply in him. Because if you haven't, that's the next step that you need to take. That's the next step you need to take is coming to a place of salvation, a place where your faith is in Christ. And the first invitation today is that. Would you receive him today? If you are here today and you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but God's speaking to your heart today and you want to take that step of faith and say, yeah, that's what I want. Then what I'm asking you to do right now is I'm going to ask you to stick your hand way up in the air so we can celebrate with you and say, yeah, that, that's me. I need to receive him today. I need a relationship with God through Christ. I need my sin forgiven. I want to make that great exchange. If you're here today and that's you, I want you to stick your hand up in the air where we can celebrate. 
Maybe your heart's beating about 100 miles an hour and you know it's you, but it's just hard to make that step. Okay. And the second invitation today is going to be to come and take communion. For those of us who are in Christ, this is a great celebration, and it's a celebration of two things. The first thing it is, is a celebration of what Jesus did for us on the cross, where his body, which is represented by the bread, took our sin upon itself and was punished for our sin. The second thing, as a part of that, is that his blood is represented by the juice. The juice represents the blood that was poured out for us, for the forgiveness of our sin, the fact that he was our sacrifice the last sacrifice to be made for the forgiveness of our sin. And so we come and we celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus. And we remember him as he instructed us to do. But it's also a celebration of unity. Because as we talked about us as the church, when we come together and we celebrate communion, we're celebrating the fact that we're one body in Christ. That we've been unified through him. Black and white, rich and poor. It doesn't matter in the body. We're all the same. We're all the same. All children of God. And so when we come together, we celebrate that together as the body. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate. I'm going to ask those who, who are serving today, if you would come to the places, your stations there. And we're going to have people scattered out around at each of these sections who will serve the you communion. What we do is we come and we take a piece of the bread and we dip it down into the juice and then you can eat the, the bread. If you stick it in your mouth and forgot to dip it in the juice, we'll give you another piece. Don't double dip, okay? But this is an awesome time. This is a great reverent time for us to come and to really be able to celebrate what God's doing and his heart for us and our love for him. Before we do that, I want to ask you that you take a minute. The Bible instructs us to examine ourselves, to examine our hearts before we take communion. Let's take a minute. Let's repent. Let's let God search our hearts and lay them bare before him. And then we'll come and we'll share in the Lord's Supper. Let's, let's pray for a moment.